Welcome to another episode of the Head of Nations podcast. I am your host, Brian, and across from me is your co-host, Ben. So, Ben, tell me what's new in your nations this week. I'm looking into devotionals for my son, for my oldest son. And it's been really a, a cool, like a cool thought of being able to, to see him think about and apply his faith. And I think I've been waiting for this for a long time. And it's just been, some, you know, I mean, we're Christians, so we, it's just the truth that we live by. But in terms of actually encouraging him and then, you know, providing, um, providing him opportunities to, to actually grow in the knowledge and love for Jesus has been just thinking about that and planning for that has been kind of a cool thing. I, I really love, I'm passionate about discipleship, but discipleship of family looks different than discipleship of, you know, say people at church mm-hmm. or, you know, at, at school or whatever. Um, so I'm just, I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be, I think it's going to be really cool, really fun. Yeah. It sounds like a cool thing to be able, are you going to go through it with your son together so or is it just for him? It's for him. The idea though, is that, I mean, that we are going to have the conversations because the, the type of devotional that it is has questions that are built in for him to respond to. So yeah, I'm, I'm just really looking forward to, you know, to having, more intentional conversations because up until this point because they're young it's just it's kind of like when you get to a you know when something happens it's it's really circumstantial it's not mm-hmm. very intent it's not intentional and scheduled you know you know what yeah. i mean so sometimes you get to a, a big thing sometimes you know and sometimes you, you really don't and i mean like th- that is i think with faith i think it, it has to become more intentional um more of your decision i think it's going to be cool to watch him start to to take those steps. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for it. So in my nations this week, I'm working on something. The way I would describe it would be being in integrity with myself. So I tend to preach and I practice to seek discomfort, right? And I've noticed lately my mind a little more drawing toward the comfort side of things. So this really hit me. I was walking out of work and there's a driving range by work. And sometimes those golf balls come up into the parking lot where I parked and I was walking out and there were a bunch of people hitting golf balls. And I was like, my hands were full, you know, I had stuff and I was like, I had this thought, it's like if a golf ball comes up here, that's going to stink. Right. And this might sound weird, but that was a weak thought to me where it's like mm-hmm. where you kind of like hunch your shoulders mm-hmm. a little more forward mm-hmm. and you're like, ah, I don't want the golf. ball. And I was like, no, no. If the golf ball comes, stand up like a man, face it like a man, look to see if the ball's coming and then react. And I noticed it was a weird thought, but to me, I thought for a minute and I was like, I wonder where else I'm doing this in mm-hmm. my life where when there is something uncomfortable coming, the best thing you can do is face it. Not to shrink away a little mm-hmm. bit from it, but face it like a man and hit it head on. Mm-hmm. And so I started thinking about jujitsu. And I noticed, you know, sometimes you get in really uncomfortable positions. And I used to be like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm in an uncomfortable position. Yeah. I'm learning to suffer well. Well, more lately, I'm like, I'm in an uncomfortable position and this isn't fun, mm-hmm. right? Like I love jujitsu. It's fun. Yeah. But then, so I, the next morning I went in, you know, when I was walking out after I had that golf ball thought, mm-hmm. I stood up a little taller 
shoulders back a little more. And I walked to my car and I'm like, if a golf ball comes, I'm just going to catch it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then I went to jujitsu the next morning and I was like, if I get in a really bad position, I'm going to learn from that. Mm -hmm. And so I've been thinking through and taking inventory in my life. Where else am I seeking comfort where I should be facing my problems head on? Mm -hmm. Because it's little things that we don't take into account that start to creep in. And over time we let laxness or slackness come in. So mm -hmm. I, I, I'm concerned about this. I think most people would be like, you're crazy, but the slippery slope is real. Mm. It is real. And so these little things are warning bells to me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I need to be in integrity with myself again. If I'm preaching, seek discomfort. I need to embrace the discomfort. Mm -hmm. I need to hit it head on. So if that golf ball comes today, I'm ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, or at least you tried. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> if I don't catch it and I miss, you know, and I have to have some dental surgery or whatever, <laughs> at least I tried. <laughs> Excellent. That's awesome. All right. Well, let's look at the passage of the week. And this is in Second Kings chapter 23. And I love this passage. And uh, to be honest, I love this passage so much. I actually don't remember if I've read this before on the show. I hope I haven't. But if I have, I'm going to read it again anyway, <laughs> because this is such a boss passage. And it flies in the face of what I think we do as Christians in our culture today. So this is Second Kings 23. And this is about Josiah really bringing Israel back into submission to God. It says, Even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, son of Nabat, who had caused Israel to sin, even that altar and high place he demolished. He burned the high place to the ground. Or I'm sorry, he burned the high place and ground it to powder and burned the Asherah pole also. Then Josiah looked around and when he saw the tombs that were there on the hillside, he had the bones removed from them and burned on the altar to defile it in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by the man of God who foretold these things. So we have here basically a place of sin, a place of worship of a false god, pagan worship of a false god. And this was one of the most sacred places of pagan worship. I mean, I hate to say that, but it's what it was. One of the most sacred places places of pagan worship in Israel. And Josiah takes out all the other high places, and there's this last high place that's the most sacred high place. And even that high place, he takes down. And he doesn't just take it down. He burns it and grinds it into powder. Like, I want to think about the effort that it would take to do that amount of damage in an era where there are no heavy machines, there are no power tools, there are no wood chippers, there are no stump grinders, the amount of effort and dedication that it took to grind those altars to powder is immense. But to Josiah, it was, we are this dedicated to God that we're not just going to kind of destroy these altars, we're going to utterly destroy them so that they can't be rebuilt. So you can't rebuild the powder of the altar. It's gone. And then to even take matters a step further, the people that worshipped and led in worship of those false gods, he burned their bones on the altar. Like, okay, you wanted to burn sacrifices on a, an altar of fake God? We're going to burn your bones on that altar to desecrate them. Like today we would be like, oh no, we can't do that. Like what about the feelings of the people that followed that fake God? Like, wouldn't they be sad? Wouldn't they feel bad knowing that we did this? I mean, just think of the witness of our community. If we're here defiling an altar, 
And Josiah's like, no, we are utterly dedicated to the Lord. We don't care about the hurt feelings of the people that worship this God. We're destroying the altar and we're burning those people's bones to send a message. This is the fate of those who serve false gods. And really, I think it's a precursor. If you think about if we follow false gods, we'll be burned in hell. That's real. And I really think that's an image of that. Their bones are burnt on the altar. And I think that's an image of the eternal destination of those that serve false gods. So I just want to hear what you had to say. But I love it because it is strong, it is powerful, and it does not give any leeway to sin. Have at it. Because that's the thing about sin, is that it's, it's, that, it's that much of an enemy that we tolerating it is actually is actually hateful if you think about it because sin will drag us to hell because sin will separate us from all joy that we have in christ it's got to be like that and if it's not like that then well you're trying to pull hell into heaven you can't do that Mm -hmm. so and i mean that, that that is impossible you know no part of sin can exist in heaven um in the presence of jesus christ and so if you're serious about joy if you're serious about like real joy and real justice and goodness then you're gonna be real serious like this about sin and i think it makes me think of like what 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 idols do you think were in josiah's palace what idols were you know what i mean if he's like that zero none (laughs) (laughs) okay i'll answer that uh and but but then let's look at our let's look at our kingdoms look at our house Mm. like what idol is in my house? And it should be like that. I had a, actually a story that, I, that goes along with this. I, um, I was a, I studied religion. So comparative religion was like my thing. I really, I have my master's in, in religion and comparative study of religion was, was the emphasis. And so I have a ton of texts, primary, I mean, Buddhist texts, mm-hmm. is, is Islamic texts, um, that were in my house. I remember, this is so crazy, that I, I started walking around the house and I, I'd pass up my books on my bookshelf and, I'd, and I caught like just this weird feeling, a strange feeling that I was just like, you know what? I think it's coming from those books. I think it's because those books are in my house. And my son is going to be able to read. You know, I'm, he was mm-hmm. young at the time, but I'm thinking like, he pulls one of those books off my shelf and it's filled with lies. And it's filled with, it's filled, and I, I believe mm-hmm. that other religions are actually demon inspired i agree and so i'm thinking like they're on my bookshelf in my home like next to next to my bible commentaries next to the truth and i'm like i don't think knowing truth depends on a lie you know i think Mm -hmm. that you need to know the truth to be able to identify the lie and so this was drastic and i'm not saying this is what everyone has to do with their with their books on you know on, on the counterfeit religions but that night i took every single one of my books and it was like, I was into selling books for a little bit, mm-hmm. made some money on it. I took every book that I had and I put it outside in the snow. And it, it was, I didn't even put it in trash bags. I, just, mm-hmm. I wanted them destroyed. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to throw them away. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did with them. That night, it was, te- it was like 10 o'clock at night. That was, I just, I said, they got to go. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that was, I do feel like that was an act of obedience. Mm-hmm. And I do want to report 
that this happened and I felt better. Like I <laughs> yes, felt like uh-huh. it was immediately like I, I got it out. I got yeah. it out of my house and that's what it needs to do. And so I, I, I feel that, but I feel that also maybe I'm tolerating some idols and I need to, I need, I, I'm constantly having to revisit texts like this to, mm-hmm. to check myself because man, I think we're prone to doing that. And if we're not, if, we're, if we don't have that same passion for the righteousness of God against sin, then I think that we are, well, I think we're bringing trouble on our home and our mm-hmm. kingdoms. So that's what I think. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And I 100% agree. I talked about this. I'm teaching a Sunday school class mm-hmm. with Solomon. Mm-hmm. And he actually brings in idol worship to Israel because his wives served other gods. He married foreign women and they asked, presumably, the text doesn't say they asked, but it said they led his heart astray, and then he builds temples for their fake gods. Well, if you look at what happens, God strips the kingdom from Solomon, and then he passes it on to Jeroboam, and Jeroboam makes the two golden calves in the northern kingdom of Israel. And when God pronounces judgment and wipes those 10 tribes off the face of the earth forever, he says that one of the reasons he did that is because the calves that Jeroboam made, Mm -hmm. they never would have been made had Solomon not let that sin come in. But, you know, he probably justified it like, oh, you know, I need this political alliance. I need to keep my wives happy, Mm -hmm. right? That passivity where instead of standing up and holding the line of obedience to God, he let it in a little bit at a time. It's that slippery slope Mm -hmm. that I'm talking about where I think we do, we need to go clean house in our hearts and in our homes, like literally in our lives, in our homes. I like that story about the books. Uh, We can talk off off air because I don't want to take up too much more time, but I've had a couple times like that as well Mm -hmm. where like I've, I used to study Islam to talk mm-hmm. to people about yeah. Islam and I, I have a Quran in my house and yeah. I've had that back and forth with myself of, should I keep that in here? Because it is a lie. And I do believe the same thing. I think Paul makes it clear that false teaching comes from demons, mm-hmm. but we don't take that seriously enough sometimes. All right. Well, enough on that topic for now. Maybe we can have an episode on it at some Ooh, point, but I like that. Yeah. Let's get to the topic of the day. And this is something that you had kind of broached with me. So I'll let you, kind of give it a name or a label what you want to call it but we're basically talking about the effects of worldview on how we live our daily lives so what would you call this the effects of worldview <laughs> as we live our daily lives okay well <laughs> nailed it ben nailed it all right so go ahead and lead us off here with your thoughts on this yeah so i was thinking about I was actually reading a book it's called um confronting injustice without compromising truth by thaddeus williams and in it he calls worldviews madness machines and i thought that that is so interesting because well i'll let i'll just let him do the talking i'll read this little this little part of this uh of this book um it's on page six of this of, of this blue book a worldview is not what we might say we believe in a street survey or online quiz it's what we truly believe and in fact from our in our core about who we are where we came from and where humanity is headed what philosophers call a worldview i will call a madness machine in goes the questions that baker declined to bake a cake for a gay couple's wedding should i be mad that person makes a lot more money than that other person should i be mad they emerge from an intricate, or an intricate, often subconscious network of beliefs and convictions from a madness machine that yields conclusions about what in our news feeds should incur our wrath. And I thought 
that madness machine is a, is is a great way to explain worldview. And then it made me think, okay, if we in our kingdoms are responsible for communicating truth and the world is filled with competing worldviews, everybody getting mad at one another. And I mean, we're, we're, it's because it's the result of sin in our world. Then I just thought, well, okay, so I'm going to communicate this worldview to my children and I want my children and, and I want it to be you know, lived out in my life and in, in my wife's life. I think there are some worldviews that are actually way better at leading people to flourishing than others. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is going to be necessary, absolutely necessary for Christians to get this right, to teach worldview to children, to our children, so that we can, maybe that, not that we can, you know, fix culture or anything like that, but these big questions are being asked in our culture, and I think this is now a time, I think, for the church to start answering, giving real, truthful, honest answers about who we are as humans, what we're meant to you know, for what we were created to do. Um, when everybody else is getting super mad and defending whatever lie they're defending, Christians can stand strong. We can actually encourage one another and then give answers to those who are really searching for truth. I think worldview is going to be huge in the, the future of, of, of the church in the, in the 21st century. So anyways, I was thinking about all of that, mm-hmm. but what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. Yeah, so I think this is super important. First of all, I think that we often live out our worldview without ever even giving thought to the fact that we're living out our worldview. And this, to me, becomes apparent with cognitive dissonance. So cognitive dissonance is where you have two contradictory ideas that both can't be true, but if they compete with your worldview, you'll dismiss them and hold true to your worldview, right? So, for example, like let's say you're a Republican and a Democrat does something bad and the Republican does the exact same bad thing and you are mad at the Democrat, but you're not mad at the Republican, right? You must dismiss all of it like, and just say, well, you know, it just, I, I, I'm just mad. Mm-hmm. Well, why? Well, because he did something wrong. Well, why aren't you mad at the other guy for doing something wrong? What well, wasn't as bad? Well, why? Well, why is because my worldview won't let me say yeah. it's bad yeah. because I must believe that all Republicans are good. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't want to just land here politically, but I think that's where it's most apparent in our culture today is in politics. And I think everyone is prone to do that, but we're not just prone to do it in politics. If we notice that's true in politics, it's true in every aspect of life where what are we going to let dictate truth to us, right? That's the real question here. That's right. What is truth? And Pilate asked that and then dismissed it, right? Jesus said, he is the way and the truth and the life. So to me, worldview must be based on Christ. Mm -hmm. Scripture must be true. I should not bend scripture to what my worldview is, but I should let scripture change my worldview to align with Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's something I don't think very many people are comfortable doing because it's hard, right? When I hold a view and then I look at scripture, like, I hate to pay taxes. Yeah. I hate it, right? But you know what? Scripture tells me to pay my taxes, mm-hmm. so I pay my taxes. I don't want to do it. 
I do it out of obedience to God. Not because, but if I held my worldview and I let my worldview inform that, I might be able to try to find some scripture somewhere where like, oh, maybe I can use this to say not paying taxes mm-hmm. and have that cognitive dissonance instead of letting scripture inform my worldview and, and bending myself to scripture. So really, I think with the worldview issue, everyone has a worldview. Everyone is trying to influence your worldview. And so if we're not influencing our kingdoms, if we're not informing our families and trying to instill in them a Christ-centered worldview, the world is going to download their worldview into them, right? They're going to, whether through media, whether through education, whether through social interaction, the world is going to input worldview Mm. into our families and into our circles if we're not doing it. So as the heads of our nations, it's imperative that we be intentionally informing the worldview of our families and those around us, quite frankly. So. Yeah, and we are like all too ready, I feel, to absorb worldviews, uh, to, to just accept uncritically competing truths. And when we do that, we, we become, well, we, we become like the world. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and, it, and so I'm advocating for a very much an intentional mm-hmm. constr- worldview construction where you're actually sitting down and saying, this is, this is the truth. And this is and this is something that yeah that that it can actually lead to more flourishing than the broken worldview that is just nat just just out there just that is that is common easily accessible and that is always trying to get in you Mm -hmm. know Um, it's going to take that intention that 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 real decision to say you know no hey this is false because of this truth that I know Mm -hmm. and and I think that like Christian homes need to start checking some things, um, checking the competing worldviews that they're allowing into their homes that are coming there. They're, I mean, you're being bombarded everywhere, you know, by your little, your little, your, your cell phone, your, uh, or a TV, you're watching a football game. You have competing worldviews. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. You're being undated with it. Yeah. Recognize it. Yeah. Recognize it, point it out and say, no, I turned off Daniel Tiger the other day. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, this is not right. This is not true. Oh, I make my family so mad sometimes yeah. where there'll be an ad and I'm like, nope, TV's going off. Or like, we'll start watching a show yeah. and there'll there'll be like a same-sex couple. And I'm like, yeah. I, I cannot no. allow this in yeah. my home because it, the slippery slope is real, yeah. Yeah. right? And so if I let this slide, what am I going to let slide next? And then five years later, I'm going to be shocked when my kids are living a life that I think is wrong, right? So yeah, to me... The, the crux of this is, first of all, we need to have, we all have a world worldview, but we need to know why we have our worldview. And it needs to be a Christocentric or Christ-centered worldview. And second of all, we need to allow that to inform the way we live. Every decision we make must be based on a Christ-centered worldview for Christians. There's no other way. Yeah, so I think it just comes back to, Josiah cleaned house, we need to clean house and do that with our worldview. So we're almost out of time here. So I'll give you, if you've got a last couple words here. Yeah, I think like it's, it's, if you're having trouble seeing this, I think it's good to just see the, see what the competing worldviews lead to. And I think they lead to, I think they lead to injustice. I think they lead to all manner of unrighteousness and division Mm-hmm. in separation. I don't think they, they lead to unity, justice, goodness. You know, I don't think they lead to real happiness and flourishing. And so I think like 
it, it takes just a little bit to a little bit of prudence is what I'm advocating for um, to, to see and identify those truths that will actually lead to your destruction and your family's destruction. Check them and yeah, and get to Christ. He's our center. Yeah. Amen. Well, good work, Ben, on choosing that topic. I really appreciate you leading with that. So if you all enjoyed the show, feel free to subscribe to the show and share it with other people and leave a review. If you have questions, please email us at infoheadofnations.com. If you would like to support us, and again, we thank our supporters that we have so far. If you'd like to support us, go to headofnations.com and click the support tab. And as always, remember, we are the heads of our nations, so let's go live like it. Until next time.